Okay, well, welcome back. We are back at it, back in the, the occult confessing Saddle. game. Saddle, yeah. yes, absolutely. Um, we took a month off for the birth of my daughter, Corinne Mae Thompson. Thank Baby. you, thank you very much. She was born on June 24th, 2018 at 1.27 in the afternoon. Happy Aww. birthday. Let me search. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you, yes, well, I'll let her know. Yeah. She doesn't speak English yet, but I'll let her know. We'll teach her. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> that's the plan. <laughs> we are coming back to you with a very ambitious series, I think. Yeah. Um, our goal for the next six episodes is going to be to explore the logical possibility that you could be immortal. You know, just some light yeah. stuff after you have a newborn. <laughs> if you don't you have know. a headache after this episode, then we're not doing something right. Uh, oh, a headache. Oh, hey. uh, so, you know, we talk about the paranormal. We talk about psychic energies, disembodied spirits. We talk about the afterlife, all these things. All of these things are premised on the idea that we must have, for any of these things to be true, we must have some kind of immortal soul. Um, and, and that immortal soul is premised on the idea that our mind could not possibly be limited to our brain. Here's why. Uh, if, as spiritualist mediums and religious believers claim, some aspect, if not our entire self, continues on after our body dies, that self must exist independently of the brain, which is physical. It's an organ like any other. It disintegrates, goes to dust, just like our arms and our noses and yep. genitals. Brains, and noses, genitals. All of those all things. All of that the song. good parts. Arms, noses, <laughs> genitals, and toes. Arms. Yes, I can't wait to teach that one to my child. She already knows it. <laughs> she taught her it. She's like the Buddha. She came out with knowledge already. No, we came in and oh, you guys born have been, at 127. We came in at around 2. You sneak in during the two hours that I'm yeah. able to sleep between 2 a.m. and yeah. 4 a.m. and teach the child songs like about her and Okay. Toes. <laughs> Seeing the future of the past also, psychic phenomena, perceiving thoughts in others' minds, picking up impressions from objects, all of these require senses that are similarly, just like we're saying about the soul, independent of the physical body. They're non-physical senses to see the future, to see through time, right? To see break aura. the boundaries of physics. Yeah, the aura. Mm. All of these require there to be some aspect of ourselves that is not physical. Metaphysical if you will. <laughs> so if psychics exist, if ghosts exist, if heaven and hell exist, then some aspect of ourselves, our minds, our consciousness must be beyond the physical world. And we're going to figure out whether or not that's actually true. This is a big task for our third series here on Occult Confessions. Um, some very intelligent people, including yours truly, and perhaps some of the folks that have gathered around me here, have wrestled with this question, going back to the ancient philosophers and coming up all the way to the present day. Uh, and it's not a foregone conclusion, one way or the other, whether or not there's a soul. Uh, there's good arguments uh, in favor of the soul. Maybe that's really the surprising thing, right, in our scientific age um, of biology and physics and chemistry and chemistry yep. uh, that that the soul is actually philosophically quite logically possible uh, but it's going to take us um, a long and I think exciting exploration yeah. to figure out just how that that's so. So this is a gigantic topic it's also an important one uh, so if you haven't yet um, we're going to want you to go ahead and subscribe 
Subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss a moment of this scintillating intellectual journey down the deep end of the pool. Because if you miss one episode, we are not accountable for what you don't For what understand. happens to your immortal soul. Yeah. Yeah. Right. How are you going to know if there is a soul you or might not miss if a you don't key. listen to this podcast? This and is the only way you can find out. <laughs> if we manage to enlighten you at all in the course of our time together on this soul journey, please consider giving us a dollar or two a month over on our Patreon. <laughs> we would yes. very much appreciate it. <laughs> These guys are hungry. Yeah, they don't feed us here. <laughs> I don't remember the last time I ate. But you the soul doesn't need to only eat. $1.99 a month. <laughs> you get so much ramen with that. You can find the link to our Patreon page as well as a list of all of our resources that we use to create these episodes on our webpage, and that's occultconfessions.com. All right. Well, now that we got the housekeeping out of the way, let's get this journey started. Um, we're calling this uh, a brief history of the concept of the immortal mind or of the soul. Um, so if you've listened to our, our podcast before, you'll know that in every episode we do a brief history of some aspect of the, of the story. It's usually Olivia's <laughs> responsibility. Yeah. Uh, but for this series, um, we, we really want to stay focused because we're, we're covering the sort of deep, heady topics um, and philosophies, so we're not going to take that, that tangential step outside to do the brief history. Instead, this entire first episode is going to be our brief history of the soul. Um, the longest brief history. The, it's the longest brief history of the brief history, but yeah. still brief because it's the soul. So yeah. this could be way longer. The information is endless. <laughs> We're primarily interested in where the soul comes from and what happens after we die with an eye on what uh, the cultures that we're going to pick out and the philosophers we're going to pick out understand the soul to be on today's episode. So we're going to go around the world. Um, we're going to go through time, about 2,500, 3,000 years, uh, and just sort of pick and choose and do a survey of opinions on the soul and what the soul is. Um, so is the soul what we today call the mind, or is it something else? What have people thought about the survival of the soul from century to century and continent to continent? This isn't meant to be a comprehensive account of every way anyone has ever thought about the soul. That would be crazy long, and we wouldn't get to really talk about what we want to talk about in neuroscience and quantum physics and wild philosophical well, I'm excited theories. to talk about that neuroscience. Oh, definitely. quantum uh, physics? I love quantum but physics. But that's not happening today. That's so scary. today, uh, we just want to see how these questions manifest, questions of the self and the mind and immortality. Okay, so let's, let's get going. Uh, if you're new to this podcast, you're tuned in to uh, what I consider to be a masterclass in the supernatural, supernatural beliefs and occult history, researched and presented by me, your host. My name is Rob Thompson. I am the supreme hierophant of the secret order of alchemical actors at my PhD and have studied at length uh, occultism, and I, and I teach classes on the occult and the supernatural and also storytelling and theater. Uh, these stories are going to be brought to life by my crew of alchemical actors who are led by Olivia Litteral. Woo! That's me. That's, hey. There she is. Uh, she's our grand master of there the secret order. That's me. Uh, and, and the <laughs> specific folks we have joining us from the alchemical actors today in our discussion, we've got uh, crowd favorite Shannon Landers. Oh, I didn't know that. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> So we have to build you up before we talk about yeah, the Yeah, I need soul. a little pep talk. <laughs> yeah. And most improved player, James Caplanges. Oh, howdy, howdy, folks. I'm just trying my best. <laughs> he gets more Southern as really we continue. Does. Yeah, he's, he's trying to reach a whole new demographic. Folks, he's trying to reach I a whole. I gotta Patreons. satisfy my fans. Once more for the people in the cheap seats, this is Occult Confessions, and today we bring you a brief history of the soul. 
We, the members of, of the Secret Order of Alchemical Actors, do solemnly commit ourselves to a full and honest telling of the history of the occult as far as we know it. That was so good for not doing this for a while, guys. Yeah. That's because we're professionals. Okay, let's begin at the cradle of civilization. Africa. Ooh, Africa. Ooh. Zebras and lions. And yeah. elephants, the big five. The, the oh, only, only three of them. land mass that looks like a pork chop. It does <laughs> kind of look like a pork chop. There's often similarities across tribal cultures in Africa, uh, but we've got to keep in mind that Africa is a huge pork chop shaped continent <laughs> full of many different cultural groups, beliefs, and traditions. Tons. So we're going to identify some beliefs about the soul that are spread across many tribal traditions and some that are limited to one or maybe a few groups. I'm just saying we can't paint with a broad brush here, uh, but the specific traditions we're going to talk about are pretty broad, pretty broad. Okay, uh, so the first one I want to talk about is ancestor worship. Veneration of deceased parents and forebears having transcended the human realm. We venerate ancestors because they can bestow blessings on us, the living. Uh, and, but there's a flip side to this. If you neglect them, they can cause you misfortune. Perfect. Do they mean like neglect them in life or after? Like, like if you're if not, you um, I'm assuming it's, it's very like, it's the same thing in a lot of pagan like circles. It's very like ancestral. Like, so if you don't, you know, like pay tribute to them. It's like in Coco when if yeah, they don't Dios pay Los tribute, yeah, yeah, if you don't pay tribute to your ancestors every year. Yeah, like a shrine. If people like, forget about them, then they disappear or they can come back and like, you know, be bad. Or like poison the crops. Yeah. Right. You don't want that. Or the zebras. Then you wouldn't or have <laughs> crops or zebras yeah. for the whole year. What would pork-shaped Africa do? I know. <laughs> There, there's often conditions as to who can become an ancestor. You have to have uh, what's considered a good death. So I guess you know, not murdered by your ex-wife or anything in your, in your bed. I'll go out no other way. Or attacked by a <laughs> cheetah you have wronged. Zebra. As long as you don't turn your back on the cheetah. Eat poison crops. Are cheetahs from Africa? Uh, and old age Siri. are often uh, required. I think I feel like they. Cheetahs have to be in Somewhere. Africa, right? Cheetahs are in the Yeah, because they, they eat zebras. Oh, cool. <laughs> zebras are uh, so with each generation, the dead become more abstracted, uh, shedding their particularities over time, and then an ancestor sort of emerges from that. So when your parent dies, you venerate your parent in their sort of very particularity. You know all about them, right? You know all the details of who they are and, and what they're all about. But then your children don't know them as well as you. They may have known them as a grandparent. And then their children know them as a great-grandparent, may have never met them in life, so they become, you see what I mean, by so, more abstract so as time passes. Yeah, it's not, is it just the way that people see them becomes abstract, or them themselves as a spirit? Is sort of happening to, at the same time, yeah. yeah. that's really neat. Yeah, it's they become... Uh, like in Mulan, right? Kind of? Why are you going all back to Disney I'm, movies I'm trying to make connections <laughs> for the people. <laughs> yes, we have a, a large contingent of Disney fans, I think, in the occult um, confessions. Okay, well, subscribe. Oh, one like equals one prayer if you like Disney <laughs> I only understand Are they plugging us? Because I don't Disney want to plug anybody. They're not plugging us. Uh, ancestors uh, have a perfected morality, which occurs at their death, so they become morally perfect. Um, Wait, it, no it, matter what? Well, yeah, but there's, you know, they have a pretty good, you still oh, have to worship them they or they'll be angry at you. Still, though. If you become an ancestor, yeah, you become morally perfect, perfected at your death. Even and if you were a terrible person? Yes. But you probably wouldn't be an ancestor because you probably have a right. bad death. Okay. You might not live to old age. Okay. 
and the the contrast this contrasts sort of with our simplified Western view of the soul uh, as our full personality with our memories intact, you know, in some sort of heaven or hell. That this isn't exactly the African notion. You become less and less yourself as time passes. You see what I mean? Uh, and we'll see this theme pop up again with Hinduism and also with Aristotle. As emissaries and mediators, the elders speak for the ancestors when they intervene in and resolve conflicts. So, like the people who are close to death, you go to them to help you if you feel like you've pissed off your ancestors or if you need your ancestors' help. So you're just like, oh, you look like you're dying soon. Got one foot in the grave, yeah. 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 Uh -oh. That's so judgy. <laughs> uh, so another way to look at this and look at it just a slightly different tradition. Uh, there's a close connection between the dead and the living um, in such a way that the spirits of the dead have a direct impact on the lives of the people in a tribe or village. And we can see this really with beliefs around human twins, uh, which have very particular Oh, yeah. I remember talking about that in Humanities. Yes, the mm -hmm. magic twins. Because they have Magical those statues yes. that I tried to find, and they're very expensive online, guys. Don't look for old... The Abeji. The Abeji statues yeah. from the Yoruban yeah. tradition. I'm talking yeah. like $5,000. <laughs> if you're born a twin, then you are said to be a divine spirit, uh, uh, just in and of yourself, living and dead. And upon your death, uh, twins can become subject to sort of a cultic worship, you, even more so than ancestors. They have a special divinity to them. It's extremely dangerous, though, for the living twin if... The, one of, the other twin dies, as the two will attempt to be reunited unless ritual action is taken. This is where the Abeji comes in. The Abeji is a statue of a deceased twin, which the living twin carries around for protection to prevent the dead twin from coming and claiming them and pulling them over to the spirit that side. That is like horrifying. Could you imagine? I being think it's that a great twin? plot for a horror movie. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so you would carry the statue around for protection uh, until the surviving twin could walk. So keep in mind the degree to which, you know, twins, right, in the womb are very vulnerable and there's sort of more likelihood that one of two will die if you're being born twins, right? So frequently there's babies that are born, one's stillborn, one's not stillborn, and it's that stillborn baby that reaches out for the living baby to try to drag it over. Would this still count if it was like the twins were alive for a while and then one died? Would they still do the yeah, same thing? Yeah, same situation. It still applies. Yeah, yeah. So in African tribal traditions, the dead need to be managed. They need to be appeased. Their spirits remain present. They remain active in this world. Uh, the question of an eternal mind is a bit muddied by the evolution of the ancestor into an abstract and perfected entity, but you have an agency that's going to continue after you die. You can continue to do things, even if your personality becomes less and less you as time passes. That's beautiful. Yeah, I think so. Let's go to the Mayans. Nice. Oh, yeah, South America. South America. Or Central South America. Corn. Maize. Land of corn. And mountains. And right. turquoise? There's a lot of turquoise jewelry, right, the Mayans? Isn't that a thing? Sure. All right. <laughs> Switching continents to the Americas, uh, the Mayans articulated a pretty extensive ideology around the existence and the fate of the human soul, which was passed through various oral traditions for millennia until it was finally written down in 1550, which would have been after Cortez came and we had all these white people running around. Ew. Ew. For, for the Mayans, all things are structured according to a cycle, which follows the pattern of birth, death, and rebirth. All things are regenerated into new life. The soul is separate from the body and gradually comes to settle inside the body from birth. So we're beginning to see our first reincarnationist picture of the soul. The wheel. 
The wheel. Yes. The wheel of life. <laughs> Human souls can be reincarnated. Uh, the better the mind understands a given cycle, the more able the mind can predict and understand his or her circumstances. And this is why the minds obsess over calendars. It's a knowledge-based... Uh... So you could yeah. figure out for yourself... Is that... If you understand the way the cycle is meant to function, which requires some pretty advanced mathematics and also study of uh, astronomy and the calendars, you can... then you have a better sense of when a new cycle is going to begin, when an old cycle is ending, and you can prepare yourself accordingly. But you so... can't reverse like, and look at before. You can look at old cycles. You can. I don't know what you're going to get from it. I guess you can learn a lot from history. At least that's the premise of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so sure. Okay. Gaze upon the old cycles, ye Mayan. Need so a calendar. They, yes. So they believe that, so like, say my soul has been existing since life started. Is that what they're saying? And yes, you keep coming again and again. We'll get so there with the Papal Vool. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold that thought. There are many epochs comprised of different numbers and natures of worlds. In this particular one, there are two worlds, that of the material things and that of the emanating forces or gods who create them. So here we are. We have come from the gods. They have their world. We have ours. The invisible world is contained in the same space um, as the visible world. The invisible world is the internal sky earth as opposed to the surface. You say sky. internal sky I don't even know what you just said. That is super so the, cool. It's just like, it's, sort of, it's not really different from like a spiritualist viewpoint that the worlds of the dead and the living overlap, that they're okay, yeah. both existing in the same place. But yes, there's internal sky earth and what? external sky earth. We are in external sky earth. What is sky earth? It's like Skyrim, but it's... But sky earth. <laughs> sky, sky earth. It's, 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 this, it's here. Here we are. We have the earth, also sky. Okay. Oh, okay. It's here. Yeah, it's okay. this place. They just called it that. Yes, yeah, yes. It's a way okay. of understanding. We call, the philosophers call it the phenomenal world. There's lots of ways to refer to okay. this place that the living people are in. Because Sky the Earth sounds world? like crazy. Yeah, it's, I yeah you can think about it as a physical world. Sky Earth. I'm, gonna start I'm only going to call Yeah. Uh, there's gods of rain, fertility, wind, and they reside in the place where humans travel to in their dreams. Then you go to that other Sky Earth. The the hidden, internal the non-material sky, sky earth. Yeah. This is literally driving. I know, super awesome. <laughs> like <laughs> dreams. Like this space has its own logic, separate from that of the surface. Think about the logic of your dreams. Moments when consciousness is interrupted are moments when the soul might abandon the body, though. So we don't want to wake the sleeper, because you could be jarred out of your body. You could remain stuck in the dream world forever. Caves are points of contact between internal sky earth and surface sky earth. So we can go down into caves. That's not Sky Earth. Sources of water, wind, corn, and fire. They all apparently come from the cave. Waves of corn come out of the cave and enter the world, the spirits of, of these things. That's a little horrifying, just corn is, flooding out of would, this cave. Is this, is, would this be the... Uh... Oh, do we find a lot of like religious kind of activity in the caves? Yes, yeah. yeah. This That's is where really we're doing, cool. if we're doing human sacrifices, which the minds do engage in a little bit, subject for another podcast, but that's going to happen in the caves. But any ritualizing, rain dances, that sort of thing, we'll try to do them in a cave if we can. Naturally. But... Right. We <laughs> no caves around here. We need, we need to find we some. We need a cave. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> human beings were created for the praise and nurturing of their gods, which they achieved through ritual enactments and offerings. The gods first created animals, uh, but the animals could only howl and squawk and snarl, swing and a miss. Couldn't really praise them so well. Couldn't, they couldn't talk. Uh, so they stuck them in the forest and they said, let's give it another go. So they made men, which uh, they made them out of mud. That didn't work so well. It crumbled and fell apart. Uh, so I think those became monkeys. 
Uh, and then, then they were like, oh, I remember reading this. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's say we could create some people out of wood, and the other god said, go for it. Oh, those were the monkeys, the wooden people. Didn't work out so well. Let's hear from the, the Papal Vu a little bit, which is the sort of Bible of the Mayans, the creation story of the Mayans. And as the words are spoken, it is done. The doll people are made with faces carved from wood, but they have no blood, no sweat. They have nothing in their minds. They have no respect for heart of sky. They are just walking about, but they accomplish nothing. This is not what I had in mind, says Heart of Sky. And so it is decided to destroy these wooden people. Hurricane makes a great rain. It rains all day and rains all night. There is a terrible flood and the earth is blackened. The wooden people scatter into the forest. Their faces are crushed and they are turned into monkeys. So Heart of Sky is, is God. Ooh, Heart of Sky. Heart of Sky. Yahweh. Uh, the gods finally figure out that they should make men out of corn and water, and these last attempts are us, us humans. Gluten free. We are made out of... Free. Yes. Uh, the, and the, we work for the gods' purposes, because we can talk. Uh, the earth and sky are created to sustain us, uh, and us humans in turn nurture and praise the gods. This is important for our purposes because the Mayans are here defining the spiritual purpose of humanity through the special capacities of our minds. It's because we have minds. It's because we can talk that we are valuable to the gods. Because we can worship them properly. Yes, yeah, the mind is central to the Mayan concept of what it means to be human. In the Mayan worldview, the gods depend on humans to persist, and without their offerings and praise, the gods themselves will actually decay and die in the same cycle of rebirth that humans undergo. And all gods eventually do go through this cycle. I think that is so cool. <laughs> I, like, I don't know, like I've heard about that before, and I think that that is, it's kind of a unique thing. I mean, I haven't really heard about that in a lot of other like, yeah, cultures. Yeah, the concept like, I think that that's gods really are not interesting. immortal in and of themselves. I th this has been bothering me. I, I don't understand why the wood people became monkeys. You know, I feel like, you know, we're made out of corn. Okay, we, we use corn to supplement ourselves. We eat corn to sustain ourselves. Monkeys hang out in the woods. Yeah, but they don't eat the wood, you know? <laughs> Maybe they thought they ate wood. So you think that the, they should have become termites? I'm just saying storytelling, you know, you got you to gotta have things line up. I, I, me, as, as a, I, I, you know, I heard the story. Okay. It's not believable. So I when you it's... take your excellent adventure back in time to the Mayans, yeah. I'm going to be like, hey, look, this is, <laughs> read some Lovecraft. Read, read some. Oh, the, you you're know, bringing yeah. Lovecraft with you. Right. You're going to worship Cthulhu now? <laughs> yes, it's going to be great. Change us the course of history entirely. No, I actually really do like it. It's us so human cool. beings need the gods to help usher us through the dangerous trials of our life. Uh, Mayans don't necessarily have a clear scheme for connecting morality, though, to reincarnation. We just need the gods because life is hard. And we don't get any benefit from being good to the gods or being not good to the gods except a living benefit. It's very different from what we're used to yeah. in this, you know, we either go to heaven or hell, right? That's really interesting. No matter how bad you are at being a president of the United States, for example, <laughs> like no bad no thing tea, will happen no to you in this life, right? The only right. bad thing will happen to you when you die. That's when we'll get you. And reincarnation in a Hindu context is the same idea. It'll happen to you in the next life. Mm -hmm. But for the Mayans... There's no punishment in the next life. It's here and now. The reason to please the gods now is because life is hard and you need their help. So you remember a couple of years back, people got really wound up about the Mayan calendar ending. Yeah. Yeah. yeah really, that that's not even a, that's not a Mayan worldview at all. The Mayan worldview is that there is no end. There's no beginning. There's no progress. We're not getting better. We're not getting worse. There's no punishment. We just 
are in these cycles that will repeat over and over and over again. I can subscribe to that, though. Yeah, it sounds very intense. But also logical. Like, I don't know. That just something sounds... relaxing about it. Yeah, it yeah. just sounds like... like all I want to do is till, till my field. Till your field and... <laughs> corn. Have some corn and be corn. Corn Let's go to corn. India. <laughs> Ooh, India. Spicy Ooh, food. Spices. Yeah. That's what I said. It's all it's your, it's your only association with India. Silk. Silk. Right? Okay, sure. And, and Bollywood. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of uh so, so we're going to keep on the subject of reincarnation. Um, let's talk about the Hindus. Hinduism is a couple of thousand years old, uh, but the Vedic tradition that it's based on goes back thousands of years before Jesus first preached the doctrines that would become Christianity. Vedic religion turned outward to the gods through prayer, ritual, and sacrifice. The Upanishads, which were first written down a few hundred years before the big zero, Jesus times, uh, reframed the Vedic religion in Hinduism toward uh, an inward focus on the relationship between first Brahman, which is the sacred impersonal energy of the world, so the sort of sacredness of everything outside of you, and Atman, which is yourself, which includes the animating force of yourself, but also, which is a sort of physical thing, also your reincarnating soul. So initially, Vedic religion was all about sacrificing and, you know, keeping the gods happy. But then this change happened, you know, around 400, 500 BCE, where we started to focus on this connection between the outer sacredness and the inner sacredness. The Upanishads introduced reincarnation. This becomes a new idea at this period. Individuals are reborn according to their actions, karma until liberation from rebirth is reached through moksha, release or salvation, nirvana. The Buddhists will ultimately call it. Um, so karma is another badly misused concept. Karma doesn't, when, like if something bad is happening to you, you know, maybe you were a jerk to the guy at the counter at the Chick-fil-A, and then you, know, you trip on your way out the door. That's not really karma. You trip on the way out the door because you were mean to a counter guy at a Chick-fil-A in your previous life. All of the bad things that happen to us in this life are the product of being a jerk in our previous life. And the good things are the product of us being a good person in our previous life. That's like in Thwicka, the whole whatever you put out in the world comes back three times on you. I feel like a lot of people pin that as karma, but they don't say when it'll come back. Like, it yeah. could be, you know... So yoga philosophy is central to this whole belief system. Uh, in the West, we understand uh, yoga a little differently uh, than, <laughs> than the Indians. Uh, in India, yoga is a vast and complex philosophical system, only one very tiny corner of which involves it contorting yourself into different You can take a class on it at College Park. Having a tighter butt. Yep. You can take a class on... <laughs> yoga and like... Actually, the like, philosophy of yoga. Well, you do the yoga, but you also are learning like the actual uh, philosophy yes. and like the actual meditation of it, and like yeah, yoga as a technique was just developed to help you uh, realize this connection between soul and balance, or, or you know, sacredness. Yeah, in the world. Um, so in the West, we tend to think that we have a mind-body duality. We'll talk about this at length on other episodes, but you know, we have a mind and we have a body, and they're sort of separate. Our mind sort of like leads our body around. Yeah. In yoga, you have the three-part existence. You have your mind, you have your body, and you also have your spirit. So we tend to think of mind and spirit as kind of the same thing in the West, but they don't. They think about them separately. It's the three. The three always comes back. Three is a 
powerful Sir, number. Son, Holy Spirit. The Trinity. The mind from the that, Matrix. Do they consider that physical? The mind is impermanent. Yeah, your mind is not a permanent part of you. The permanent part of you is that spirit or soul, which isn't your mind. It's something separate. The body is external. The mind is external. And the mind is inanimate until animated by the spirit. So the spirit brings your mind to life. So your mind is just another organ. No, the spirit, it, if I'm getting this right, the mind is like a byproduct of the spirit meeting the body. It's I thought the, the spirit It's the impermanent the you. It's the impermanent aspect yes. of you. It's just the spirit's influence on the body because the mind isn't the body. Mm -hmm. But once the spirit's in your body, you have a mind. But it's right. only, it's, it's by person by person. The spirit will move on and it will have a new mind in its new body. Right. I mean, your spirit is going to carry the traces of all that you do in this life and all the choices that you make. That Ooh. goes with you. But your mind doesn't go with you. After all, we can't remember our previous lives. Yeah, that's right. true, remember? So. <laughs> I, so I don't remember. <laughs> can't remember. So the mind allows the intentions of the spirit to actually... I, I heard yes. it as like yeah, sure, yeah. the spirit, the spirit has is the charging the mind. the mind is what I heard yeah, it as. Yes, it's okay. energizing the mind yeah. and then it bears the, the consequences of the mind's choices and actions. Mm. So we're trying to realize the connection between the all and the one, the integration of mind and body, uh, a heart free from illusion, uh, the opening of the third eye. This is what yoga is all about. Uh, the, the ultimate goal is moksha unconditioned or uncaused freedom beyond the dualities. Freedom from yourself uh, or asmita or egoism is the primary mistake preventing this from occurring. The notion that you have a self that's separate from other things, that you aren't in fact deeply interconnected with all things is the great error that prevents us from realizing our freedom. As long as there I... is self, there is pain. How do I do that? The desire. Oh, yeah, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> the goal I need all those <laughs> is to achieve what's called purusha, which is when you say simply that I am. When you realize that I am and not that I am this or I am that. So not you are Olivia. You are a podcaster. You are a student of the occult. You are Wiccan. These all are, of those yeah. things are particularities. Yeah. These are all illusions of mine. You just are. You are, and none of the rest is legitimate mm. me being a professor me being a cult scholar the articles and things i write or all angry, these things tired they're all about yes me being angry and tired uh, <laughs> well yeah my emotional state too for sure i'm not am i angry if i've been shouting too much at you guys yeah you've been yelling during this, this episode my goodness. <laughs> he's just been editing the volume <laughs> on the podcast he's been screaming you this can't hear time. it at home but yeah i've, I've just been <laughs> shouting all of this We're all very uh, but my emotional state my personal accomplishments none of this is really me it's not going to stay with me all that stays with me is the spirit which simply is in its interconnectedness we got to control our mind, we got to quiet our body and our mind in order to achieve this perfect vantage point where we see ourselves as deeply interconnected. Our every action shapes our being and puts us closer or farther from Purusha and Prajna, which is transcendental insight. Transcendental insight, which means being able to see through dimensions, right? Sure. Okay. Yeah. I'm satisfied with that answer. <laughs> Buddhism, uh, speaking of transcendental insight, Buddhism, which is from India, imported into China. Ooh. Oh, China! Oh, Land of dragons. Pandas. Buddhism, uh, 
wildly variable practice like all the religions we're discussing today. Uh, so in characterizing some of the major beliefs about the soul in the afterlife, we're sort of picking and choosing elements and traditions that aren't necessarily shared by all Buddhists, but we want to make this follow-up on reincarnation really just to bring this home. Buddhism began as a sect of Vedic or Hindu religion, just like Christianity began as a sect of Judaism. The Buddha made a big change in Hindu belief, though, by arguing that any individual could achieve enlightenment and end his or her cycle of rebirths in this life. So for a Hindu, you've got to work your way through the uh, caste system. You start out as a, a lowly untouchable and work your way up to the priestly class, life by life by life. And only once you're in the priestly class and you're a man and you're in India can you possibly achieve enlightenment and an exit from your cycle of rebirth. But the Buddha says, nope, anyone can do it at any time. All you have to do is realize these things that we're talking about of yoga let philosophy. Let go of your attachments, right? Let them go. Yeah, let go of those attachments. Let go of your earthly tether. But let's get, but we're, we don't want to worry about that today. We'll get to that another day. We want to just talk about those rebirths and, and a the show. soul. <laughs> Uh, from a somewhat mythological standpoint, Buddhists believe in three lower levels of rebirth. A hell realm full of torture and pain, not unlike Christian hell. Sweet. Uh, Petas, or frustrated ghosts. Petas, P-E-T-A, Petas. Thank you. Like, not to be good. Not Petas. No, not, uh, not a pocket bread No, I product. meant like the animal. Frustrated ghosts. Oh, the people. Those ghosts cling to their <laughs> earthly attachments to food, sex, or something similar. Um, and you can also be an animal in this realm of hell. Nice. The five higher realms range from us humans up to the devas or gods. The gods are also not immortal, but have lifespans of up to 20,000 eons, so they might as well be. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And their spiritual path is the same as ours, to release themselves from earthly attachment and to achieve enlightenment. Everyone's trying Wait, to achieve gods? enlightenment. Even the gods. So we could do it as humans, but the gods are trying to do the Wait, same thing. Wait, how did they become gods? They've just been living good lives, and they're, they're getting just elevated more enlightened and elevated. than us, but they so, haven't reached but they didn't reach enlightenment can itself. Not just stop at priest. Can you work your way to being? Well, a god? we're talking about Hindus, Buddhists. Anyone oh. at any time can oh, achieve oh, enlightenment. Sorry. So that you might so be hard. working your way up by leading, leading good lives, but you could just as easily say, "Screw that! I'm going to become enlightened and get out of this whole system altogether." I'm just trying to figure out how to be a god. Okay. <laughs> Be good. Nice. Realize your attachments are holding you back. Uh, the rebirths have been happening to us for millions of years, which means anyone you interact with, no matter how annoying, has probably been a friend, a lover, or a close family member in the past. Furthermore, we've occupied every realm of the latter in our time and are likely to move up along it and down it as our lifetimes continue to unfold. This encourages us to be compassionate to every person and creature we come across because we were them and we will be them. It's kind of poetic. I love it. The cycle of rebirths is governed by the natural laws of karma. No gods or divine beings interfere in this system. At best, Mara the tempter may try to draw us away from our spiritual path, but the choice is always up to us, as we talked so about. So there's no, like, devil figure. It's more Mara's like... Mara's the closest. But the he's tempter. more of, like, a Loki figure. Isn't it she? He, she. It's kind Obviously. of both, yeah. Mara has... Femaleness, oh, yeah. yeah. Attempting on both the sides. The veil of Mara. So, but they won't like directly get in there. Like, no, no it's everything we see, right? Yeah. It's yeah. The illusion so of. So it's very like, realness. it's up to you. Yeah. But Mara, if Mara really wants to tempt you, as Mara tempted the Buddha, he'll bring his sexiest, you know, ness. Yeah, but then you just look <laughs> and say, I see you, Mara. I see you. You're sexy, but <laughs> not today. But no, not having it. <laughs> Gotta get enlightened. No, Gotta get enlightened, yeah, not having it. <laughs> I just ate, thank you. <laughs> 
As far as remembering past, past lives, the Buddha is said to have uncovered 100,000 years of past lives when That's he became enlightened. Uh, it's possible through meditation to become conscious of the lives we've lived before. They're hidden somewhere inside our minds, but we don't carry them on the surface of our consciousness. The lessons of our past life are worked into the effects of karma on our current incarnation. And that's the soul from a Buddhist standpoint. Let's go to Greece. Land of James. Ooh, Land of, of gyros ah. and, and feta cheese. Oh, yes. I love feta cheese. We love those things. Baklava. We support those here on Occult Confessions. <laughs> Switching gears to the Western world. Uh, we're going to stop over with Aristotle for a bit. That's why we're going to Greece. Got to meet with Aristotle. I know, I know. I'm just so tired of him. That old chestnut. <laughs> uh, but Aristotle's got a pretty interesting concept of the soul's immortality, even though he doesn't devote more than a few sentences to it in his treatise on the soul. But that's sort of what Aristotle's all about. Yeah, how long do you have to talk about something to get your point across? Jeez, come on. Let's go. Let's go, Plato. <laughs> he says big provocative things in a few sentences that scholars are stuck debating for a millennia afterwards. Uh, and they're never sure exactly what he means because it isn't especially clear. That's what I hope to achieve through this podcast. <laughs> yeah. just I'll just say random things now, and yeah, people, yeah, people will just keep thinking about it. It's like, yeah. oh, the connection between... Guinea pigs and corgis. Right, that whole is theory there. that you have, yeah. <laughs> this isn't entirely Aristotle's fault or Shannon's. He was writing more than 2,000 years ago, uh, and the point is, I'm going to have to give my interpretation of what he means based on a less than thorough analysis on my part. But this episode's not about Aristotle, it's about the history of the soul, so let's just you know, get that out of the way. Uh, Aristotle is the founder of empirical thought, which is the turning outward to the world for knowledge, That's which impressive. leads to science eventually. Plato is the other side of Aristotle. James just brought him up. He's usually thought of on the other side of the equation, thinking in terms of abstract ideals, more like mathematics than science. For what it's worth, Plato was a reincarnationist and has had the biggest influence on the occult. So we're going to stop over with him before we get to occult views on the soul. Uh, but for now, uh, let's get to Aristotle. He was Ale Alexander the Great's tutor. Uh, and uh, along with Plato and Socrates, he's considered one of the major early philosophical thinkers of the Western world, predating the Big Zero by about 300-some years. Okay. He devotes a three-part examination to the soul. He argues for a kind of evolutionary scheme with the vegetable or plant soul at the bottom rung, responsible for reproducing, for growth. The animal soul is in the middle, responsible for moving and sensing. The rational soul is responsible for thought. Plants only have that first soul. Duh, right? The plant soul. They don't have other souls. Animals have the plant soul, but they also have that animal soul. So you get both now. You don't just have one. We have all three. Wow. The rational soul is subdivided into the possible and the agent intellect. The possible intellect is all of the abstract universal concepts that are capable of being thought, like triangles or blue. Ooh, blue. I love talking about colors with people. What do you think of when you think of blue? I think of berries. Wrong. Not triangles? <laughs> You're wrong. You don't think of triangles? I don't, I don't think berries. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. You thought, you thought chair first. So, it's, <laughs> so all of the possible things that we could think are part of the possible, the sort of potential intellect. Um, it's like the knowledge you've stored up that you aren't currently thinking about, but you could call up if you wanted to. Like blue chair. Oh, so like, like blue when chair people will or be like, triangle berry. They're suddenly like they're really good at something, but they've never done it before. I do that all like, the time. And they say like, "Oh, past life, like I was great at kayaking." It's just your possible intellect. Yeah. Or... But it's also your knowledge of kayaking when you're not currently kayaking. The well, agent intellect is the mind that's actually doing the thinking in the here and now. 
So if I say think of a red triangle or a blue square and you think of them, or a triangular berry that's not blue, <laughs> that's your agent intellect. It's thinking in the here and now. It's your aware conscious mind. Most of what Aristotle's talking about when he discusses the soul is closer to what we call a life force or what occultists might refer to as an animating spirit, which we are occultists, so we would refer to as an animating Anyway, it's not the eternal soul we're attempting to investigate, though, uh, except, of course, for the fact that the agent intellect is probably immortal. Ah! Oh! Why? Ah. We'll find out. Let's hear from Aristotle. Oh my gosh. When mind is set free from its present conditions, it appears as just what it is and nothing more. This alone is immortal and eternal. We do not, however, remember its former activity because while mind in this sense is impassable, mind as passive is destructible, and without it, nothing thinks. Aristotle believed that the rational soul, specifically the agent intellect, was immortal. He says we have feet to walk. So walking as an activity could not exist before we have a body with feet. See, that pisses me off. I don't like when they do that. This really <laughs> is going to start. But understanding is not related to a body part in the same way. Walking begins with your feet. What part of your body does understanding begin with? You might be tempted to say the brain. But that's actually a really complicated answer that we'll have to save for another episode. And I promise we're going to get to it. For now, let's just preempt it by saying that your brain doesn't actually do the understanding. You do the understanding. Let me break this down for you. Your brain is an organ that fires off neurons and electrical impulses. But understanding actually happens beyond that. How do you understand a rainstorm, for example? Um, it involves your brain, sure, in the firing off of neurons, but it's also going to involve your hands touching the water that's coming down from the sky, your eyes, your okay. ears, hearing the thunder or the sound. So all of these body parts are involved. So where is your understanding? Is, this well, is pretty drastically different than everything we've talked about. Yes. Like This is taking the flip side of the whole mind thing, kind of, right? In a way? In a way, yeah. There can be no walking without feet, and this rules out the possibility that the capacity for walking enters from outside. Only the understanding enters in, as an addition from outside, because this activity has nothing in common with the activity of the body. So if there's no particular part of our body that does our understanding, then Aristotle says understanding must come from outside of ourselves at birth. It exists somewhere in the ether, and nope. flies into our little infant bodies, and boom, we understand. Sorry, there's no perfect realm of perfect triangles and spheres. I'm sorry. Well, that's Plato. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> perfect chair. Is that not what he's saying? He's this saying, sounds very he's saying my baby was born. Yes. Uh, and then pop her understanding. She understands everything. So her IQ <laughs> is set. That's pretty much what he's saying. In a way, yeah. In a way. But how? She doesn't actually understand anything. Well, she's working on it. She, she, her hands move better now. She, she stopped whacking herself in the face, and now she can grasp it's things. Like the fact that she was whacking herself in the face. I know, I know. Is it so it's like he said, he said, okay, well, we have the body and the mind and the spirit, or like or whatever, the, the agent, and, but this other thing, understanding, it happens somewhere else. By understanding, Aristotle doesn't mean memory or learning. Okay. Those are definite activities. Just an awareness? Memory is tied to a specific organ, actually, according to the Greeks, and dies with our bodies. The ancient Greeks. Not current Greeks. Understand, maybe some current Greeks. James? Understanding <laughs> call, is call our ability to learn and remember. It's a capacity. It's also our self-awareness. It's kind of like what we call consciousness today, but not of any particular things we might be conscious of. It's uh, like the ground we stand on. 
our ability to know things. So more like an things. awareness of it's our, being? Our capacity to know things. Okay. This our is realm. the I immortal get, part of us. Okay, I think I get what you're saying now. It's not anything that you know. It's not any memory of the things you've learned. It's not any memory of anything it's that's happened to you. It's your ability to, to know things. Okay. That's yeah. what survives. Hmm. Uh, leaving Aristotle to try and apply this idea to models of the soul we're more familiar with, this actually holds water pretty well. In reincarnation or evil, even single carnations, there's always the problem of memory. Aristotle's saying, not a problem. You don't have a, your memory dies with you. It's your knowledge, your knowingness, your ability to know that, that survives. So this is his version of the Indian spirit that jumps from body to body. Yeah. Is the ability to... He wasn't necessarily a reincarnationist, although many of the Greeks, including Plato, were. But I actually really like thinking through reincarnation this way, personally. It makes us all responsible for driving humanity to be kinder and smarter, because we won't be able to keep what we acquire in this life, knowledge-wise and we could come back as anybody, anywhere, and have to make the journey all over again. Humanity is kind of like a pool of recycled minds, po collectively pushing to understand and act better. That's sort of awesome, I think. That is really cool. Um, all we can keep up from lifetime to lifetime um, is any way we've made the collective better. You know what I mean? Like, we're coming how back, does, right? How is it getting better, though, if it doesn't remember from its past? We mistake? don't remember. But that means in this lifetime, we have to make things better for everyone because we could be anyone in the next life. We should make it that to be born oh. poor doesn't mean that you can't get out of poverty or that you have to suffer or that you don't have health care. Like socialist. Uh, <laughs> no comment. <laughs> to the Jews, Batman. Ooh. Ooh. Judaism. Uh, candles and, 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 yes. and small hats. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies to all of our Jewish listeners out there. Judaism is the root tradition of the big three monotheistic practices, so I'm going to actually give it more focus, actually, than Christianity or Islam. We're going to spend Good. a little time with Islam. But, uh, Judaism sort of provides the groundwork for the soul. So um, a less stodgy way to explore the Jewish concept of the soul is through some of the mythology around the origins and survival of the soul, which, you know, hold water with the, the, the less fun ways of thinking through monotheistic soul. Um, whether or not all or even any Jews believe these mythological stories literally, they suggest some great ideas from the Jews about what the soul is and how it works. One story tells that all of the souls that would ever exist were created during the six days described in Genesis. Every one of them. The total number is 600,000. <laughs> kind of a lowball number. Uh, they were all present at <laughs> <wonder> we're <laughs> Mount Sinai. All of our souls were present at Mount Sinai, but as time passed, there were more Jewish bodies than there were souls to go around, and so people ended up receiving pieces of a soul. That makes a lot of sense based on, know. like, the way that, you know, the people I've met in my life. <laughs> but, like, especially powerful rabbis might have a full soul. So there's still a few people among oh. us that have a full soul, but the rest of us are just walking around with soul, soul bits. Not Scientology, but... Judaism? <laughs> the idea of the soul is fragmentary puts the quest for union with a community of like-minded souls front and center then in religious life. Community becomes really important for the monotheisms. One Jewish tradition says that souls were initially made both male and female and were split so that people go through life seeking their literal soulmate. Huh. I feel like I've heard that. 
right. souls were part of a whole. Uh, they seek to be reunited. This actually has an element of yogic union of Atman and Brahman, except that the Jewish soul is not the all. It's one of 600,000. Um, there's something unique. There's something special about the soul that figures centrally into the Jewish perspective on the soul. We don't see this so much with Hinduism or Buddhism. There's not a uniqueness to you, to your soul. You have to sort of give up that uniqueness. But for the Jewish, the monotheistic soul, there is something very special about you, your you-ness that is treasured and, and held sacred. Chosen people. The chosen people, yeah. Um, there's another perspective from uh, Judaism that has souls descending from a great tree in heaven where all the souls come to full bloom. Uh, another view has the souls of the world being... Huh? Is this like the Kabbalah kind of? Yeah, it's is got it a Kabbalistic that? tree of life aspect yeah. to it, sure. Uh, another view has the souls of the world being held in a goof, guff, or treasury. The treasury? Is, it, is that G-O-U-G-H? Just G-U-F, guff. Oh, never yeah. mind. Yeah. Uh, this business of there being a finite number of souls joins up with the fact that Jews await a Messiah, actually. When the last soul has descended from the tree, or popped out of that heavenly treasury, then the Messiah will come and bring about the end of days. So we're waiting to get all the souls onto the earth for that to happen. This sense of there being something finite about the spiritual properties of the world or of time itself is, again, sort of the opposite view of Hinduism and Buddhism, where we're part of, like, millennia and eons and eons of time, and we're these tiny specks in this vast universe. Rather, for the monotheists, we're very much at the center of things, and it's a finite amount of things that has a clear end to it. On the other side of the Judaic soul experience, which is the name of my new band, <laughs> there's a legend of the soul making a series of crossings after death. The first is over the sea, then over the trees, then over the farm fields. If the soul drops on any of these crossings, it could become a fish, drops into the ocean. A fruit drops oh. into the farm fields, uh, or wheat. Oh, a fruit, I guess, at trees, sorry. Yeah, Tr yeah, trees, yeah. trees and then farm fields. Yeah, then wheat. Uh, if a blessing is said over the soul, which has become food, like if you catch a fish and you say a blessing over that fish before you eat it, then the soul goes to the Garden of Eden and waits for the end of time. But if you eat the fish before you bless it, uh, then the soul lives in torment until the Messiah so arrives. So this comes into, into kosher. Oh. Into I was going to say, that's yeah. what... Yeah, some of these oh. dietary laws... That's uh, by the rabbi. I, I, Let's yeah. save this guy's soul before we eat him. <laughs> the soul is incarnated in heaven, where it has a purity and a cleanliness, and then it descends to earth, where it accumulates a kind of uncleanliness. This is very monotheistic, very Christian as well. Original sin, for example. The path of the soul is to seek purification so that it might return to the source, the mothership. Uh, the eternal heaven from whence it came. Aristotle was all about the original sin, right? Aristotle? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Wasn't like, like anything Luther... that's material is evil. Like the more oh, material you are, the more evil uh, you uh, are. Corruptedness, you yeah. mean, of of being. That was more well, Plato saw oh, existence as corrupted. Plato. I know yeah. Martin Luther. I thought he was an Aristotle dude. Aren't we all? <laughs> Christians have a similar vision, uh, just taking a step aside over to them. But Jesus of Nazareth uh, imagined a wider community of souls beyond God's chosen people. Jesus of who? Nazareth. Oh, yeah. Never, uh, that one. never heard yeah. of them. Have you heard of Jesus of uh, Shebo yep. Sheboygan? Sheboygan. 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 He's a good friend. Jeez. Family friend. Jesus of Albuquerque? Um, Jesus Albuquerque. Of <laughs> Jesus of Annapolis? Um, so he, Jesus invited people, regardless of their life history or religion, into the fold, which sort of opened this monotheistic picture up to more people. 
images of Jesus with the prostitute and the leper, for example, spring to mind. Paul took this to the next level by ministering specifically to the Gentiles outside of Jerusalem, and he was uh, solving what he perceived to be the fundamental philosophical problem for Judaism, which is that if there is only one God, how can there be a chosen people? That's a lot to take on. Right. Do you, do you understand what I mean? Mm-hmm. If we have one God, then he has to be everybody's God, he or she. Isn't that one of the commandments, like, do not worship other gods? Right. It's like, if there are other gods, how is there only one God? (laughs) Yes. So uh, Jesus and and Paul after him are trying to solve this issue. There can't really be a chosen people if there's only one God. He has to be everybody's God. Semantics. Let's jump over to Islam. Ooh. ooh. Arabia, Persia. Persia. Poetry and and court, court poets and... What else? <laughs> the Persian court poets. There are, yeah, that's yes. actually a thing. Yeah. Yes. Um, are you not familiar with the Persian court poets? Read more comic books. Oh, well, really? I didn't. I was not aware. Yeah. Well, I just assumed you had heard that in a class. Sandman. Mind. I've been telling you to read Sandman for oh, a long time. Oh, okay. well, yeah. Please. All right. Anyway. Islam, while it's part of the monotheistic tradition, is the most recent of the three big monotheisms. It develop. It comes about 500 years after Jesus. Developed some interesting ideas about the soul because Islamic scholars actually embraced Greek philosophy, whereas Christendom abandoned the Greeks and the Romans as dirty, dirty pagans until the <laughs> Renaissances. During uh, your what? Sorry, I just scoffed. Oh. <laughs> During Europe's dark ages, the Islamic kingdoms and the empires were going through a golden age of philosophy, medicine, and thought. So while we, all our ancestors were, you know, like twiddling around in in our, with our twiddles. I like picturing our ancestors doing that. Just twiddling. Our twiddle corners, yeah, not able to do anything but twiddle. (laughs) That's all they do in the afterlife. And wear layers and layers of clothes that they'll never take off for the rest of their (laughs) lives. Muslim scholars were making all these, you know, fantastic advances. For medieval Islamic scholars, the human soul is the highest incarnation because it can grasp the universal rational principles of existence through science, math, and philosophy. This should sound familiar. This should sound a lot like Aristotle. Uh, Al-Kindi, Islamic philosopher, was an important bridge between Greek and Islamic thought. He argued that as a soul comes to grasp the universals, which are eternal, math and philosophy and these sorts of things, the soul itself becomes eternal. So we only become eternal as our minds develop to appreciate the eternal, the, you know, morality and these sorts of things. Ibn Rushd argued, another philosopher, that religion and philosophy were incompatible and believed that our rational soul, this is the other side of things, became subsumed by the universal truths of the universe as the individual came to grasp them so that only the species survived eternally, not the individual. So the elevation of us rationally is actually the disintegration of us as individuals. We become subsumed by the all in a very kind of Hindu way. That's very progressive. And you can read Aristotle into both of these ideas, right? That rationality and knowledge are the highest goods and that we ourselves are, are sort of subsumed by them in some way. All right, let's finally get around to Plato. We're going to jump back in time uh, because Plato is a good introduction to the occultists. That, Of course, this is occult confessions. We save the best for last. The occult views of the soul. Please tell me we're not talking about chairs or caves. Well, vaguely. Uh, Plato was on the other side of the coin with Aristotle. Aristotle was outward-facing, as I said. Plato was inward-facing. For Plato and Socrates, existence is arranged according to a cyclical pattern. Death is like sleep. We go to sleep, and we wake up, and then we go to sleep again. We die, we are reborn. We die, we are reborn. Daily? Kind of Maya. That's kind of depressing. No. <laughs> no, but there's a metaphor. Sleep is a metaphor for, for life. 
So sleeping is just practicing being dead? In a way. Great. Plato believed <laughs> that thoughts or ideals were the only true reality and that physical objects were poor replicas of those ideas. Sorry, the table, the table that I imagine will always be more perfect in my head than the table that I create. Some of the romanticists will say this in the 19th century. Don't count yourself short. The, the wood, <laughs> I'm not much of a table guy. The wood may have knots, I prefer to yell on the floor. The wood may have knots or, or the stain might not be applied evenly at every corner. You can't make a perfect table, but you can imagine one. I've definitely seen you sit on many tables. Yeah, I have no thoughts about using them for food carrying. Plato <laughs> believed that the soul was perfect, but became corrupted through its interaction with the imperfect body. You see the same thing as the perfect and imperfect table. Things are only destroyed through their specific evils, he says, and each thing has its own evil. Disease is the evil of the body and destroys it. The it's soul and its perfective. What, what? I said it's super effective. So, yes, disease <laughs> get, cuts right to the core. Uh, the soul in its perfection is focused on wisdom and morality, and so injustice and ignorance are what destroy the soul, not bodily death. So the body has its own destruction, the soul must be separate, and the soul can't be destroyed the way the body is, so the soul must survive disease. It can only be destroyed through us being ignorant and bad. Evil. Yeah. I don't know if I get behind this. So the mind corrupts the soul? Is can well, we don't necessarily don't 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 go down that road. That we're not necessarily okay. separating mind and soul here. Plato didn't, didn't go there. Okay. Um, anyway, this is his argument for immortality and the notion of striving toward an ideal or perfection in the world, including in ourselves, perfection of our souls, and this becomes a key part of occultism: striving for perfection and perfecting ourselves mm -hmm. spiritually, a spiritual progression, which we've seen is not necessarily baked into all of these different religious traditions, but yeah. is in the occult mindset. Let's get down to it. First, with American spiritualism. Heck yeah. Ooh, Ooh. Rob wants us to name American Out spiritualists. Out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> no parental supervision. Going out to the barn. Killing the chickens. What are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know, Rob. What did you teach me? I forget. Is Apparently nothing. <laughs> um, that sounds like voodoo a little bit. I feel like you're describing the plot of the witch right now. <laughs> in the wide world of occultism, there are many approaches to the soul. Too many to discuss. Uh, we're going to start with the spiritualist prophet Andrew Jackson Davis, uh, and then we're going to do the theosophical mystic Helena Blavatsky, and we're going to close with the New Age, and that's going to bring us home here. Davis, uh, from his book Death and the Afterlife, uh, said some things. He says that we have an outer physical body, inside of which is a silvery spirit body. It's got color. And inside of that is our immortal golden image. For Davis, the spiritual body has substance. Yeah, we have so many colors, you know, metallic colors. Uh, the spiritual body has substance, but the substance is very fine and imperceptible, and that operates and animates our body. The innermost part of the spiritual body, the golden image, is an incarnated portion of the divine. At death, this golden image emerges from the body through the head and hovers above the dying person's body around the ceiling, remaining connected to the body like a kind of umbilical cord, uh, only for a different kind of transition. So Donnie Darko Halo. Right, a little bit. I'm also thinking some David Lynch, Twin Peaks, The Return stuff. But um, <laughs> yeah, you, you have this umbilical cord that's connecting you to your, sort of like the umbilical cord connecting you to the mother's body when you're born. You have the umbilical cord connecting the soul to the physical body when you are delivered into the, your next life. Let's hear a bit from Davis himself. The golden emanation which extends up midway to the ceiling is connected with the brain by a very fine life thread. Now the body of the emanation ascends, then appears something white and shining, like a human head. 
Next, in a very few moments, a faint outline of the face divine, then the fair neck and beautiful shoulders, then in rapid succession come all the parts of the new body down to the feet, a little smaller than the physical body, but a perfect prototype. This fine life thread continues attached to the old brain. The next thing is the withdrawal of the electric principle. When this thread snaps, the spiritual body is free and prepared to accompany its guardians to the Summerland. Spiritualists do not generally believe in reincarnation. Emma Harding Britton, one of those mediums you were just trying to remember the name of, we yeah. devoted an entire first series to, uh, rejected reincarnation as unnecessary to the spiritualist scheme for an evolution of the soul. We live and die once, but our soul is on a perpetual journey of development. For reincarnationists like the Hindus and the Buddhists, our souls develop over many hundreds of thousands, if not millions of incarnations, growing more spiritually perfect through time and effort. Astronomically speaking, the Earth is on one side of that vast galaxy of suns and planets, termed the Milky Way, and directly across this great physical belt of stars, we find the sublime repose of the Summerland. And this is but the receptacle of the immortal inhabitants who ascend from the different planets that belong to our solar system. These planets all have celestial rivers which lead from them toward the heavenly sphere. How did he come across that theory? Did he claim to have seen that before? It or? sort of alludes to some Swedenborgian ideas. Emanuel Swedenborg preceded him, but both Emanuel Swedenborg and Andrew Jackson Davis claimed that they um, sort of left their bodies and entered the Summerland themselves, and that's how they became informed. So it was all intuitively, through trance, that they experienced these revelations of the nature of the soul. Okay. Summerland is something I see in like Wiccans a lot of times that do believe in an afterlife. It comes from Davis. The term itself is a spiritualist term. Huh. Yeah. Rock on. For spiritualists, we ascend uh, to the spheres of heaven that correlate to our moral and spiritual status on earth. If we were bad people, we join other bad people in the afterlife. It's very clicky. <laughs> well, our punishment is to hang around with other bad people if we're bad. So, so, so when you talk about bad, like of someone being bad, like I guess like evil people, like does that mean they had like an evil soul? We don't even really need to say good or bad, to be honest. I'm sort of just using that to be reductive. It's whatever you're like, you will be attracted to people who are like that in the next life. So That's technically, terrible. we'll you know, be hanging around with other occult podcasters in the afterlife. But you know, if you're like a despot who like murders millions of people, you'll be hanging around with other people like that in the afterlife. So your punishment is to have to put up with them. Our punishment will be to put up with other occult podcasters. So, so ideally, we'll like them. No. And, you know. Or we'll maybe feel threatened. You know? Oh, boy. <laughs> I guess, like, I don't know. So, like, when people do bad things, like you said, like, murder a bunch of people, is that because their souls are, like, evil? Like, that, like... Tainted. Tainted, or...? Yeah, but you're not doomed. Not Unlike a uh, sort of Christian mindset where it's black and white, you're either saved or you're not. For spiritualists, even if you're a jerk and you're murdering people, you can still evolve in the afterlife. You're just going to have to do it after being punished by hanging around with a bunch of other angry, angry murderers. So when people do bad things, is it because uh, it's been, their souls have been corrupted? You have free will. So you are, if you haven't been reincarnated, this is your one life. So it's the action that corrupts the soul. You choose to, yes, it's your choice. It's like energy, good or bad energy, kind of. like. Yeah, you're making those choices and you're responsible for them and you'll bear the weight of them in the next life. Man, That's I don't it. like being responsible. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't talk to Sartre. Um, 
So for spiritualists, the process of continued development, as I said to Shannon, continues, uh, happens in the next life. It doesn't necessarily happen just in this one. You're not going to come back and back and back. You're going to have to continue to work on yourself wherever you go with whoever you get to be around. Let's switch gears to modern theosophy, which spanned the globe from America to India. Well, we did a whole episode on Helena Blavatsky, the Russian mystic. She attempted to merge Eastern and Western traditions in her approach to the soul. You'll recall if you heard that episode. Um, she was a world traveler. Uh, she founded the Modern Theosophical Society along with Henry Alcott in the 1870s to investigate paranormal phenomena. And she re received direct inspiration from what she called her Mahatmas, uh, ascended occultist masters existing on a supernatural plane of being who hailed from Tibet and communicated with a system of secret occult Buddhists uh, to her. Uh, Blavatsky took a lot of inspiration from Buddhism and Hinduism, which she blended with Western occultism in her books Isis Unveiled and The Secret Doctrine. The second book embraced reincarnation, the first one did not, uh, and it reflected Blavatsky's relocation from New York to Bombay in 1878. So, Blavatsky says we each carry within us sparks of the supreme spirit or God, which have moved through the stages of being from plants to animals to people. Sounds a little bit like Aristotle. As people, our sparks of spirit developed a soul. The soul is then individualized, and it's eternal, which is the same as our mind. The soul then reincarnates as the individual develops spiritually. The spark of God's spirit goes along for this journey, but is never individualized. It remains part of the all or the one. These are like my lines in Poe. Mesmerist. Kind of. This is yeah. what it sounds like yeah. exactly. Yeah, saying. Edgar Allan Poe mm -hmm. uh, articulated a theory similar to this in, in, in a more or less similar time period. Mm -hmm. So we have sparks of God in us of the all. We also have our individual personal souls, and we also have these bodies. That's the tripartite soul. Uh, that's, kind of, that's how I kind of feel I see. This I can, I think, ascribe yeah. to the most. Yeah, your Blavatskians. This is spiritualism. With the dual doctrines of soul and spirit, Blavatsky's system brings together the East and the West. The individualized soul identifies as the mind and speaks to Aristotelian, monotheistic, spiritualist concepts of the eternal self. A strict yogic interpretation believes that the mind is an illusion and not permanent, but Blavatsky's ideas about the merging of the soul with the all-encompassing spirit speaks to a Hindu and Buddhist versions of the role and destiny of the soul. Well, let's uh, close up by taking one stop over with the New Age. Nice. New Age, uh, Steve Miller Band. Uh, what was it? <laughs> I was going to say Dave Matthews. <laughs> Dave Matthews. Uh, what? Crystals and. I was literally about to be like, crystals and incense and shit. Incense? Incense, guys. The incest is way older. New Agers can be dated to roughly I mean, the like... 1960s, although they have their roots in the turn to occultism in the 19th centuries, especially among the occult revivalists and the spiritualists. They share belief in higher states of consciousness achieved through trance or other means of popping out of, or rather deeper into, your head. What we think and what we believe shape our reality through what's called the Law of Manifestation. Jay-Z Knight channels Ramtha, an enlightened superbeing, originally from Lemuria. What? Lemuria. <laughs> oh, are you talking That's about the enlightened ancient... superbeing or Lemuria? No, all of it. It's okay. I, okay. I heard Jay Z Knight. Jay Z Knight. It's a woman's is name. Is Knight Jay Z's name? Is it her? It's her. Oh. She's, a, she's a channeler. She has the letters Jay Z oh. Knight. She channels Ramtha, superbeing from Lemuria. Right, right. The, the, the planet of lemurs. It's a lost continent. <laughs> oh, okay. Sort of like Atlantis. I'm sorry I'm laughing. This is serious. Okay. Oh, I listened to a whole podcast on. Uh, Jay Z Knight? No, Lemuria. Lemuria, because it's like, 
alien stuff comes into that, right? It can possibly. Alien it doesn't conspiracy. have to, I'm but just, it can. Right. Let's hear from Romfa a little bit. Every thought you have ever embraced, every fantasy you have ever allowed yourself to feel, all the words you have spoken have all come to pass or are waiting to come to pass. For thought is the true giver of life and never dies. That never can be destroyed and you have used it to create every moment of your life for it is your link to the mind of God. It's possible to think of the universe as a hologram projected by each individual's own mind. Your beliefs and thoughts shape your hologram. That's why we can't agree on colors, Rob. <laughs> right. Uh, and it sounds a little bit like Davis's heaven, right? But now it's on Earth. Your whole existence is already shaped and you're attracting to yourself the essences that shape your being based on how you think and what you do and how you act. Since the events of our lives are our own creation, they are all deeply meaningful clues to the hidden recesses of our minds. Affirmations are common to New Age practice then. You say how you want things to be, and gradually they come to be that way. Chaos magic. Yeah, it is uh, definitely New Agey. This isn't a matter of saying, I wish or I want. If you want to have a hippo in your backyard, you don't say, I wish to be happy. You say, I am happy, and your subconscious mind works to make it so. Ooh. That's literally chaos magic. That's what I do all the time. I say I want a four-leaf clover. You just in affirm my hand, that. Huh? <laughs> I mean, if you affirm your world, then that's what it'll be because you can shape your reality. If a hippo in your backyard makes you happy, I don't want one. They're dangerous. So, I, I agree. Uh, so the mind as soul can create its own world. It can also go on great journeys through the inner resources, recesses of consciousness to higher or deeper planes of being. And death is merely a step in a spiritual progression. This involves reincarnation, but reincarnation is not viewed as a means to enlightenment in the same way that the Buddhists understand it. Reincarnation is part of a larger scheme of spiritual progress, which may take place through physical incarnation or in other worlds or in an afterworld. But death is merely the metamorphosis. Scholar of New Age religion, Wouter Hanegraaff, describes the process like this. At death, the ego is discarded, the subconscious rises up to take its place, and the superconscious or higher level of consciousness that the New Age has spent their lifetime seeking out and exploring wakes up. In reincarnation, the process is reversed, so only your higher self survives death. Your individual personality vanishes in a way very similar to Blavatsky's and Aristotle's system. This is very. This all sounds very, very similar. I can draw parallels all over this map of an episode we've we've made yeah. up today. You know, there's one thing that survives and jumps to bodies and bodies, and the other stuff dies alongside with your body. Are you offering to create a map to post on the website? I maybe could do <laughs> a mind just... map. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for our, for yeah, our patrons on Patreon. It's like the always sunny Charlie meme. Yes, I'll <laughs> do a Charlie meme. And that is a brief history of the soul. Very well done. That was the least brief history. Right. So Bring us home, Olivia. Oh, you got something? <laughs> this is a tangent, but like, I don't know how to bring this up without sounding goofy. <laughs> so, so like, where did it come from that like gingers don't have souls? I noticed like a South Park episode, but I looked into it and like a lot of different um, like religions, like, like, Year, like yeah. thousands of years ago, they believed like when they had red-headed children, like it was a sign of the devil. Like they or were... if you were born with green eyes, if you had freckles, it would be a sign that either the devil or you were going to be a witch in a lot of... Yeah. Notice that we're traditions. drawing on monotheisms here, right? Monotheisms like to create special communities of that, believers. They all look the same. Right? Yeah. And they like to have exclusive communities that don't necessarily comprise everybody. So it's neat to find different people and say, ah... 
You don't have a soul. Because there's only 600,000 of them in the first place. Oh, yeah, we need excuses for why there we, we lowballed that number so much. Right, yeah, there's like, there's like a billion people here in this country. Well, there's 400 million here, so that's still way more yeah. than we have souls. So you must not have one. Oh, I guess not. <laughs> I'd say you're doing pretty good. You're high-functioning for not having a soul. high-functioning. Really yeah, you've, you've done really well for yourself. All right, Olivia, get us out of this before we have all kinds of hate mail from gingers. I hereby adjourn and declare closed this this secret meeting. It's not a secret. <laughs> it's not a secret meeting. It's a public go. podcast. I hereby. It's a free podcast. Adjourn and declare closed this meeting of the secret order of alchemical actors till such a time as we get together and do it again, James. Yes, ma'am. Uh, we have been uh, joined today by James Kaplangis. Oh, howdy. And Shannon Landers. Yeah. We had the voices of John Cook and uh, Jacob Wheatley and Morgan Jung uh, in, in the context of our exploration of the soul. Uh, a reminder to subscribe if you've enjoyed this episode and learned and been enlightened. We have so many more things to tell you about the soul. It's going to get so intense and exciting, I promise you. you. Uh, and our next episode, we are going to look at what I'm calling Evolution's Ghost. The theories of Alfred Russell Wallace on how uh, the soul and the spirit could possibly be within the evolutionary system. We are copyrighted by Audac Theatre Group LLC, and you can visit us at www.occultconfessions.com. We'll see you next time here on Occult Confessions. Bye. Bye. -bye.